0: Praise God. Hi. Um, we have been looking at the Sermon on the Mount for the last couple of Wednesday nights, and I had uh, hoped to conclude that tonight and uh, was talking with my brother earlier today. And I had written down at the top of my notepad uh, a passage of Scripture and uh When he and I started talking, that was the verse that he immediately went to. And I thought, well, you know what? You need to teach tonight, not me. And so I'm going to invite him to come. The Sermon on the Mount basically is a condensed uh, uh, version of the principles of the kingdom of God and it's wonderful. Brother Twenty and I were talking about it after service last Wednesday night. It's the only place in the Bible where you can go and all of the teachings of the kingdom of God are in that three-chapter passage. Every principle concerning behavior, attitudes, relationship, forgiveness, reconciliation, uh priorities... All of those things that are so important to living the the, the life of an overcomer uh, is found there. And and what the Lord had begun talking to me about, and my brother confirmed it, was that if you don't get what he's going to talk to you about tonight, then none of the rest of it works. You have to get this principle for all the other principles to work. So I'm going to invite him, while he's coming, one more time, turn to your neighbor and say, Open your Bible, as well as your mind and your heart. Matthew chapter
1: 7. Let me read a few verses from 7. Let's start verse 1. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure you meet, ye shall be measured to you again. Thou beholdest the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in thy own eye. How wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold a beam is in thine own eye? Verse number 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven or he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and thy name have cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. It came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. What I would like for you to notice is the last part of this chapter 7. You could actually say that This is the altar call to the Sermon on the Mount. So for a few moments tonight, let's look at what Jesus concluded the Sermon on the Mount with. Lord bless you. you may be seated. The Sermon on the Mount is one of the most incredible teachings that Jesus gave us. Now, I have to be honest with you. When I read the Sermon on the Mount and I look at what it says carefully, it is incredibly irritating. Now, it might not bother you, but if if my brother smites me on the right cheek, I'm supposed to turn the other. If he says, go a mile, let's go two if he wants my coat. That's irritating. That was such an irritating principle to the disciples. I'm not sure they got it until after his death. They struggle with these things he was trying to teach them. When Matthew writes the Sermon on the Mount, as he introduces the Sermon on the Mount, he says that Jesus sat down and taught them saying. If you go to Luke's gospel and you go through it, you'll discover at least four different places, maybe five, Luke records the Sermon on the Mount at four or five different locations. But yet Matthew puts them all together. However, the way he wrote this letter to us or wrote his gospel lets us know that this is... First of all, one of the most important things Jesus said, because he said he sat down and taught them the same. There are multiple ways in the Greek language of using the past tense. We don't have near the past tense in our language that they have in theirs. They have an imperfect tense, which we don't have. They have a perfect tense. They have a first, second aorist which are point actions in past time. There's the perfect, which is an action that happened in the past that has a possibility of affecting the future. And then there's uh, other forms of, of, of past tense that when you use them, let you know exactly what is being said. If Jesus or if Matthew wanted us to know Jesus only taught this one time, he would have used a verb that was in either the first or second heirs tense. But he doesn't. The verb that he uses is in the imperfect tense. And the imperfect tense in the Greek language is repeated action in time past. Matthew lets us know the way he writes it that Jesus preached this sermon on multiple occasions. Now, if you look at The ministry of Jesus recorded in the Gospels, you might have 28 days total out of the life of Christ from the time he was born till the time he died. So, those four books do not give us a a history of everything that happened in the ministry of Jesus. That's why John concludes this by saying if all the books could be written about him, could be written, the world could not contain the volumes. Because of what he said and what he taught. But what Matthew lets us know is this, what Jesus had to say that day, was incredibly important. It is something he repeatedly said over and over and over and over again. If we've only got 20, let's say 30 days, let's let's round the number up. And he preached it five times then that's one-sixth of the times that Jesus was preaching. He preached about the Sermon on the Mount. So if you take three and a half years, that means he probably preached that sermon 40, 50, or 60 times in three and a half years. It was such an important issue to Jesus. It's actually how we live our lives. It, it, it not only defines our relationship to God, but it really defines our relationship to people. And in chapter 7, uh, we find where Jesus lets them know that that if a child asks for bread, would a father give him a serpent or, or a stone? They, if a child asks for food, how, how would the father respond? Then he says, if you being evil can do this, how much more can your heavenly father do to you? He wants us to recognize and understand that we better be very careful about how we view him. And most of us view God through the eyes of our father. Now, Mark and I and Charles had an incredible dad. I I don't ever remember in my life my dad ever saying to me, son, if you'd listen to me, this would have never happened. I, I never heard him say, I told you so, or I knew this was going to happen. Now, he'd shake that pencil at us on a regular basis and won't know why there's an eraser on the end of it. And by six, you knew the answer. And the answer is, so you can erase your mistakes. He, he asked me that question around 18 or 19 years of age. He never let me forget that the reason there's an eraser here is so you can erase your mistakes. Now, when I view God... I don't see him like a lot of people do because people see him as harsh, hard, demanding. If dad was absent from your life, you'll have a big struggle not seeing God as being absent from your life. If you never measured up to dad, you'll struggle wondering whether or not you'll measure up to God. And our lives will become controlled by something we don't even pay attention to. So Jesus lets us know, be careful who you compare God to. If you being evil can do do this, how much more shall your heavenly father do unto you? Then he gives us this last statement about the wise man and the foolish man. When he addresses these two different conditions, it's easy for us to look at it casually and not really see the importance of what Jesus actually said. First of all, Jesus says, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them is likened unto a wise man. What you hear will never change your life. You can hear all the preaching in the world. Matter of fact, you can listen to tapes or even watch videos on on exercise and and how to get your body in shape. But does it get your body in shape by, by observation? What does it require? for you to get the weight off and the muscles toned, it, it's, it's not just wanting to or desiring to or, or wishing it would happen or, or reading about it or listening to it or watching it. You've got to do it. Amen. Whosoever hears these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken unto a wise men. What I hear will not change my life. What I do Changes my life. I've got to become more than a hearer. And Jesus Amen. was was listening and watching the people He's talking to, and He realized as He's talking to them that they're sitting there listening, and they're trying to find shortcuts. They're hearing every word He's got to say, but they're trying to figure out, okay. How can I get around this? What can I do not to have to do all these things? And 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 they're they're following the path of least resistance. And that's our nature. It is human nature to try to do things the easiest way possible. Rarely do we ever do things in our life that forces us to get out of our comfort zone. It's easier to live the way we've lived instead of to change. I am convinced that we are willingly ignorant. We don't want to know because if we know, we got to change. So it's easier not to know and just use the excuse, well, I didn't know. And Jesus is dealing with that attitude. He's looking at these people, 12 of them are his disciples. His, his future ap- apostles and many others are his disciples. And they're struggling with his interpretation of the law because all of the Ten Commandments are addressed in the Sermon on the Mount. He addresses our attitudes as my brother said, he, he's, he's addressed relationships. Matter of fact, he even said, there, There's a time in your life you're not even welcome in my house. If you bring your gift to the altar, there remembers thy brother has already. You don't come inside. The altar is at the front door. You don't even get to enter the house if you show up at the front door and remember that your brother has, audit. not stranger, not neighbor, not boss, brother, family. This family thing is the whole Structure that the church is built on, and if families become chaotic, the church becomes just as chaotic as the families. Matter of fact, this church is no healthier than its weakest family. You can't get the flu in one finger. When one part of the body is diseased, it diseases the entire body, not just part of the body, it starts spreading through the whole body. And it's the family structure that builds strong churches. Strong churches don't build strong families. Strong families build strong churches. And this is about relationships and families, relationships in the church, relationship with others, taking responsibility. Don't try to pick a... a, a A splinter out of somebody's eye if you got a beam in your own eye. Take ownership. You you can't fix somebody else until you fix you. Matter of fact, the only person I have the power to fix is me. I can't fix anybody else. I can't fix my kids. I can't fix Leanne. I I can't fix my grandkids for sure because they say things like, I don't like you. You're not my boss. You can't tell me what to do. I'm not going to be your friend no more. (laughs) You sure can't fix them. The only person I have the power to fix is me. And and I've got to look at me. And Jesus boils all of this down to this conclusion. If you're listening and you do, you're going to be a wise man. And you're going to build your house on the right foundation if you listen and don't do then you're foolish men that greek word is moros we get our word moron from it now i didn't call people a moron jesus did so <laughs> if you simply listen without participation you're foolish and it's like the man who builds his house on the sand. Years ago, my children were in a musical at Life Tabernacle. I, I, they were eight, nine, maybe not even been that old, maybe seven, to eight. And Brother Odo actually put on this suit, and it looked like a book, if I remember correctly, and it was called Salty. And it was a musical about. Salty and and the kids say, and one of the songs they sang was about the man who built his house on the rock and the man who built his house on the sand. And while they were singing it one Sunday morning, I don't know, I revelation showed up. It just the, the way they sang it and the words they sang, something clicked. And I realized sitting there that Sunday morning, I had really missed what Jesus was trying to say in his conclusion the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus says, the wise man builds his house on a rock, our instant thought is, man, that's the best building material you can find. But the truth is, it's the worst. The best building material you can build a house on is sand if it's in the right place with the right conditions because sand doesn't expand it doesn't contract when when the sun shines in the morning it doesn't swell it's not like clay that gets water in it and and grows inside its size and and you get upheavals in the ground and you see the, the ground move as a result of the water and the clay, and, and sand doesn't do that. Sand lets the water go right through it. Sand gets its strength from the layers beneath it. So if there's a, a solid clay layer beneath it or a rock layer beneath it, it's the best place you could build something because it's never going to move. The houses were not destroyed but what they were built on, they were destroyed by where they were built at. It's not what you set the foundation on, it's where you locate the foundation at. It got me thinking. So I went home and looked up sand in the dictionary. And Webster's Dictionary Defines sand as the decomposition of rock. It's what a rock used to be. But storms, weather, life, conditions break little pieces of it off. Because it it's not heavy enough. Water washes it somewhere else. Where does water always go to? The lowest place in life. So sand is the lowest place in life you could get to. When you when when something's built on sand, sand is found in three basic places. By the ocean, by river or stream, or in the desert. It's the product of, of no water or no 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 rain on a regular basis that that things lose their abilities stay connected, and, and they become sand. I'm sure the man who built his house on the sand didn't build it close to the river. Now, when Jesus is giving this illustration, Jesus knows what he's talking about because he's talking about, and, and the first time he taught it, according to Luke, he was probably somewhere along the Jordan River. The Jordan River it starts at least 1,200 feet below sea level at the north, and by the time it gets to the Dead Sea in the south, it's 1,600 feet below sea level. If there wasn't mountains surrounding it, it would be all filled with water and an ocean. But it has this... Water, this freshwater river that runs through the middle of it, that starts fresh on the north, but when it gets to the Dead Sea, it becomes the saltiest body of water that exists. If you ever walk out in it, it is the slimiest feeling that you ever can have in your life. You can't get it off of you. It's slick, it's almost like you can pick it up in your hands. You can't drown because you can't sink. When you walk out in it, you just float on top of the water because of the salt that's there, and it's so salty. But that valley has two cliffs on either side. One's on the west side, there's on the east side. Now the distance across the valley from east to west is in some places close to 100 miles. But it, it still has that same cliff on the Jordan side that's on the... Israel side. And when Jesus said the man who built his house on a rock, he's referring to a towering cliff. And the only towering cliffs that existed in Israel was the Jordan Valley. So when he uses this illustration, everybody there knows what he's talking about. One man says, I'm going to pick out a spot way up there on that cliff. And that's where I'm going to build my house. The other man says, oh, it looks much better down here. What is the number one sound uh, generated or generated sound that people use to put people to sleep with? What is it? When people can't sleep and they get a noise machine, what's the number one sound that they use? Water. An ocean? Rain? It's water. Because the sound has this ability to put us to sleep so many times we look at things and we we look at okay will this be easy or this be hard will i have to struggle or won't have to struggle is it it, will it be easier to, to live here the man who built his house on the sand everything he needs is grows in sand what grows on rock Nothing. There's, there, there's no place for roots to get. So you can't grow anything on rock. The man who built his house on the rock has to climb out of the valley every day to go home. And then he has to climb down the cliff to go to work because there's no work on top of a cliff. But the man who built his house on the rock looked at life and said, you know, it might be a lot easier if I lived up there than to live down here. So I, 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 I will struggle every day of my life. I'll get up in the morning and struggle to work. I'll struggle coming home from work. But I refuse to let my family be put in an environment where they can be destroyed in just a moment's time. All of the building materials may be here. The tallest trees, well, not the tallest, most of the tallest trees grow in sand. The sequoias don't grow in sand, they grow up on a mountain, but the only way they can grow is they have to interlock the roots, and they they they, they lock onto the rocks, that's the only way they can grow, but the pine trees and the fir trees, they grow by sand, and they put a root down called taproot that gives them the ability to withstand time and weather so that, the, the building materials of, of a home, a house, is in the valley. It's the best place to grow crops because all of that runoff brings all kinds of minerals. It may be the garbage dump of life, which really that's what it is. One man looked at his life and said, okay, this is easier built here. He, he was trying to find the path of least resistance. How can I do this? without a struggle. And he builds his life based upon ease. I I had a friend who wanted to build a really nice house here and he bought a piece of property. And he called me one day and said, I'd like you to look at my piece of property. I, I bought it and I'm going to build a home here and I want you to tell me what you think about it. Well, it's in a gated community. Uh... North of Interstate 10, uh, when you walk, drive into that community, the, the, there's no noise there. There's so many trees. It's beautiful. All kinds of trees. And and I, I, he lets me in. And we park and we get out and we, we walk across this little flat area. It wasn't very big. Couldn't get much of a house on it because it's just a very small area on top. He, he's got two acres, but most of it falls off the cliff on the back down to Greensboro. And he said, what do you think about building a house here? I said, I'm not sure that's a good idea. He said, why? I said, 1982 or 83, we had a little bit of rain, and that thing got out of its banks and crossed the, the bridge up north of here. And, and, and he said, well, I'm, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring in 10 foot of field. I'm going to build it up high. I'll be the highest house in the neighborhood. I'll get above it. It's beautiful. It, it, it's it's a good place to live. You can hear nature. You can hear the birds sing. If you want to go down to the the bow and fish, you can do that if you're brave enough to eat what's in it. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's it, it's a beautiful place. Yes. When the Colorado Rockies pictures lived across the street in a million dollar home, that's a nice place. okay, so I'm gonna build. I'm just gonna elevate it. And then we had that little thing called Allison show up. <laughs> and 38 inches of rain fell on the northeast side of town. And he had 54 inches of water inside that house. He had a brand new Lincoln parked inside the garage. And the only part of that Lincoln that didn't have red dirt on it was a little circle on top of it about the size of a football. Everything it was lost. When you... See, we live in a world all of us sitting here tonight live in a world of chaos we know that chaos can happen two years ago it happened here 54 inches of water in 3 days times a whole lot of water no place to go so but we look at it and calculate how can i do this and what can i get by can i live with this or tolerate this if it happens i'll rebuild the guy who built on the sand knew his house would be destroyed when the, when the river got out of its banks. When the storm came and the water rose, it was the river that washed his house away. And when you build your house in certain conditions, you've got to spend the rest of your life worrying about where it's going to be destroyed because there might come a rain that washes it away. The guy who built it on the cliff. Hey, he'd go to bed every night Was it raining because it could put him to sleep. It's never gonna that will never flood up there. Whosoever hears these things of mine and doeth them. It's like the man who climbs a cliff and says, I'm not living, I might have to work there, I might have to be there every day, but I don't have to live there. I can get my life above that junk and garbage. And I can get to an elevated life where if my enemy shows up, I can see him from a long way off. An entire army cannot defend a valley. But one man can defend a mountain. So Jesus says to those listening, You're hearing what I've said. I irritated you because it irritates me to read it. I don't like it. My nature doesn't like it. I got a get-even nature. You may not have one. I do. You do me wrong. I don't want let you get by. It's in my nature. Anybody who's task-oriented has that problem. So all you loners in this group, you got the same problem I got. Don't lie about it. Say you don't. You got memories like elephant. You believe it remember everything everybody's ever done. I can tell you the day, the time, and the place. And Jesus told me I gotta turn all that loose. I, I'm not allowed to keep that. That's irritating. So I gotta look at it and say, okay, if I follow what he says, my ha- my, my home will be better, my relationships will be better, my family will be better, my life will be better. But I can't look at life and try to figure out what's the path of least resistance. What's the least I have to do to get by? What's what's the minimums I have to deal with or do in life? I can't look at life looking for minimums. I've got to make a decision. Okay, I might climb a cliff, but I'd rather be a cliff dweller than to, to build my house where I have to worry every time nature Happens. See, the house wasn't destroyed by men. The house was destroyed by nature, and he knew it. No one, my 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 friend said I, I had the hundred year floodplain marked. It's fifteen foot down below the bank. So he had a surveyor stake where a hundred year flood. Well, that's only seven inches of rain. Fourteen inches there's 500 year floods so. 54 inches we don't even know how to number that one but it's happened and I'm sure when he built his house on the sand he didn't just build it he went and asked questions what's, how long have you lived here well we've lived here 50 years what's the highest the water's ever got well it's, it's see that tree it's been up I, I've seen it right along if you look you can see some of the old, old, old trash mark where, where when the river's been up, That's there's the water line. You can see it. And so he decides to get a little higher. But he never got it high enough to get away from what the river could do. Or maybe it was a stream. But he got it too close to where disaster could be. And that's what Jesus warned his disciples. It's easy to court disaster and calculate how much chaos you're willing to tolerate and live with. Unfortunately, everybody that lives in Houston's done that. We have literally done that. I go to California. First question I'm asked every place I go that's new that I haven't been to before, first question out of everybody's mouth when they find out I live in Houston, aren't you terrified of a hurricane? I've heard that a thousand times. That's not an exaggeration got irritating, so I started to ask him, well, aren't you terrified of an earthquake? I at least know when mine's coming, I can leave. You don't have a clue what's going to happen to you. See how our minds reason? We look at life, we look at circumstances, and then we start trying to figure out what's the easy way to do it. And Jesus said, if you choose the easy way, you're a moron. <laughs> I didn't say that. He did. It's in the text. It's in the book. <laughs> you're a moron. <laughs> the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The moron has said, that's what the scripture says. When I choose to try to find there's too much junk up here. <laughs> I keep feeling it as I trip on it. If I keep trying to live as as close to the edge as I can, it's going to produce chaos. When my wife and I married back in 1972, she was the proud owner of a red Volkswagen Beetle. I had to put the thing on to get in it. I'm six foot one, and I'm trying to crawl behind that wheel to get in that thing. And I, I had my dad bought cars that had been wrecked and fixed them, and he had bought a Delta 88. Remember anybody remember those things? Two door hardtop. It had electric seats. It had electric windows. It had air conditioning. It had leather seats. I mean, it was nice. We get married, guess which car I get? It's a little red Volkswagen Beetle. With your foot on the floor, it would do 85. Top speed, 85. Well, I'm going to work one day. Get on the Gulf Freeway at Woodridge, head north, and I need to go out 59 south. So I know I need to get over. Remember in the 70s, speed limit in town was 75? Remember that? In town. And everybody drove 85-90. So speed limit was 75 in town back in the 70s. And I get on freeway, and, and I'm headed north, and I stayed in the right lane because every time a truck passes, it, it just shakes that whole car and moves it every time they pass depending on how fast they're going. And, and I, I got to turn left. So I waited till the last minute. I'm I'm crossing that last bridge before you get to the the turn on 59 South. And I started easing myself across and I look in my mirror and to my horror, an 18-wheeler is approaching me like I'm sitting still. Now I'm doing 70. He's got to be doing 90 miles an hour. I mean, here he comes and I'm, I grabbed that steering wheel with both hands because I knew what was about to happen. And when he went by, he moved me up against the guardrail. I, I'm, I'm fighting not hitting all the guardrails. They didn't have concrete then. all those posts. And I'm fighting not to hit that guardrail. And when he got by, he sucked me right behind him. And I'm doing 95 miles an hour down the freeway. And there ain't nothing I can do to stop this stupid thing. It took me two miles to get out behind his wake. I missed my turn. (laughs) When you live close to the edge, when life brings something by, it's going to always push you back to the middle. But the vacuum behind it will suck you in behind it and take you places you don't want to go. So Jesus is warning his disciples Be very careful where you choose to live your life. If you choose to live here uh, 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 by the valley where it's beautiful, where where everything grows, where you can work, where you can have a crop, where you can do these things, life's going to bring some things. There's a wind going to blow. And when the wind blows, where's it going to take you? Or would you rather start practicing what's not easy to do And when you start practicing praying for your enemies? That's one of those things he said too. (laughs) It's all here. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Love your enemies. If if you have an adversary, agree with him. Don't, Don't fight him. My nature don't like that. I don't know about yours. Mine don't like that at all. But that's what he asked. So we got to make a choice. Where am I going to live? My choice. He's not make me. He will never make me climb a mountain. I don't have to build my house on a cliff. I can live in the valley. He won't make me move either. He just warned me of what's going to happen if I'm living in the valley. Because in a valley, you can never see your enemy until he's there to pounce. And then it's too late. Devil's never going to sneak up on somebody who's got a house on a cliff. You can hear him coming, see him coming a long way off. When you choose to live by the edge, I've had the unfortunate responsibility. Of dealing with some people whose lives wrecked, I, I've had phone calls that kind of go like this: "Brother Hughes, my world's burning down around me. I'm losing everything. I need you. When can you come?" And my response is, "Well, I'm not even in Houston. I, I, I won't be home till next week. I, I, you got to come." As soon as possible. I said, okay. Probably Tuesday or Wednesday before I get there. Okay. Then I get there. The first question I'm always asked, and this happened too many times for me to count. First question I'm always asked is, how did I get here? No one ever starts on a journey that's going to wreck their life intentionally. No one. They lost churches, families, lives totally wrecked. And the first question is, how did I get here? Well, I quit living on a mountain, and I started living in a valley. I quit deciding. You know what? It's easier to live life here, harder up there. So I, let's go with ease. I, I don't. You don't understand. My day's full, and, and I don't have time. And so. You never intend to go where you wind up. But if you do what he says, I'll never get that phone call. You know what I discovered about being a minister? Everything I've ever preached across a pulpit, within days, he's forced me to practice it. Not months, Matter of fact, I preached about offense one day to a bunch of 1,200 singles that I, you know, they're at they're, they're a singles conference and I guarantee you all 1,200 have been offended. And I preached to them about offense and I can't even get out the door before I'm told I'm an old man on a soapbox and nothing I have to say is spiritual. And I got offended before I even leave the house because I preached on offense. He will demand you practice what you preach. You can't just say it. You hit. It's, it's not words, it's action. We have to become doers of the word. Please stand. Gracious Father, thank you for your incredible word. Thank you for the resource you have left us in life to live life to its fullest. Thank you for causing men under the inspiration of your spirit to write and record the scriptures that we have today because they address every issue of our life. There's not a problem I encounter in my life that your word has not already covered. There's nothing new in the world I live in today. Your word has covered it. So thank you for giving us the instructions in the roadmap. And if I will simply live what you ask me to live and I become the doer of your word, my life changes, my family changes, and everybody's life around me changes because I'm not just hearing, I'm practicing. I'm loving people. I'm, I, I'm letting you convict my heart when I show up. If I've said something to injure someone in my family and I try to walk through the doors and your spirit convicts me and won't let me come inside and, until I fix the words uh, uh, that I, ha- I have used cause hurt in somebody's life because your word will always convict me if I'm living upon the cliff if I'm built on the rock your words will convict if I'm living in the valley I'll probably lose all my conviction because I'm just looking for the easy way and so nothing's going to challenge me to become different Jesus I pray today that where's your kids would make a choice to start becoming doers of what you ask, because it is the greatest life I could possibly live when I start becoming more and more like you. Bless your children tonight, in Jesus' name. Would you worship him?